find a lovely Sunday morning. And now we know that Shauna has a, ch- a chink in her get along. Is that? I got a chink in my. I hitch in my get along. I, I, I love when she comes out with these Texasisms. They're just great. Uh, I'm Greg Boyd, teaching pastor here. It's really good to be here with all of you. Uh, thanks to Sandra for doing such an incredible job last week. Wasn't that a great message? If you, if you didn't hear that, I encourage you to, uh, to check it out. Uh, on the way here this morning, um, I was rushing out the door and saw some bottled water that, that's on this little cabinet right as, we're heading out the, as I'm heading out the door. Grabbed it, get inside the car and just take a swig of that nice water because I'm a little thirsty. Turns out it wasn't water. It was hand sanitizer. <laughs> <laughs> so then I, I was already late and I had to go back and scourge my mouth for about five minutes and you never can quite get the taste out. So I'm chewing gum this morning and that's breaking a, a, an etiquette rule, like we care about that. But uh, once in a while I, I went and passed it, sometimes it spits out and I don't want to do that. So if, I, if it happens, excuse me. But I'm trying to get up, it's the first time I've ever preached with a sanitized mouth, a pure and unclean mouth. I mean, a pure and clean mouth. <laughs> All right. I, I hope you guys are all doing well. Um, it's, it's, tough. it's a tough time if you're struggling and uh, sad and worried and feeling lonely. Maybe sometimes more angry, on edge than usual. I want you to know that you're not alone. You're not at all alone. Uh, in this season, I think that's pretty normal. Uh, if, if you're functional, if you're functional, then, then pat yourself on the back. It, it, it's, a, it's a tough, uh, tough thing. I encourage this, as I have from the beginning of this, if you're struggling with that, one of the things that can make a difference, I, the first message we had when COVID landed was to give thanks. Find, take, don't take anything for granted. And just and maybe write that in a journal, and you'll find that that just lifts the heart. Uh, be grateful for everything. The worse things get, the more give thanks. Uh, so we're now down to our last beatitude, and it has to do with persecution. And so uh, it says this, Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute, persecute you and utter all kinds of evils against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm going to ask the question, why does Jesus assume that his followers are going to be persecuted and spoken evil against and lied about and things like that? Because, you know, being a Christian is about loving people, right? Loving unconditionally, being exceptional in your love, doing good, serving others. Why would that incur the wrath of others? Why would that make you hated to anybody? It's a kind of an interesting question. Now, I, I know there's some Christians today who will say, well, the reason is we're persecuted is because we stand up against sin, and sinners just don't like that. They, they don't like that. But I submit to you that if you're, if you're standing, if people don't like you, it's not because you're standing up against sin. It's because you're standing up against everyone else's sin instead of your own. If you stood up against your own sin, and we're all loud about that, I bet you get applause everywhere. And that's kind of what Jesus means when he says, don't go looking for that dust particle when you've got a tree trunk sticking out of your own eye. Uh, no, th- that's not the reason why the early followers of Jesus were, were persecuted. In fact, Jesus, so far as I can recall, didn't go around doing that, pointing out people's sin. The disciples didn't go around p- pointing out people's sin. To the contrary, they went around announcing, God's forgiven your sin. <laughs> so why were they persecuted? Now, I, I, to answer this, uh, that question, 
I'm, uh, I'm going to kind of go backwards here. It's like those, I don't know if you've ever seen those gags where they, they, they give you the answer uh, and, and before they give you the question. Um, and it makes it kind of for sometimes an interesting conclusion. But so I'm going to hear back into this in a way where you won't see what this has to do with persecution. You won't see what it has to do with answering that question until toward the end of the sermon. And then you'll see how, how it all relates together. But I'm sharing it like this because this is the way I got it. I got it yesterday morning, and frankly, it blew apart the sermon I was preparing to give. Um, and and so, so just hang on to that. I'm going to require your attention on this. I, I'll also add that this message, uh, it, it's once in a while I'll say this, it, it, I feel a gravitas to it that, that I, I'm just paying attention to. Uh, this is important. It feels foundationally important. Also, I want you to know that uh, we're not having a Q&A afterwards, so that gives a little bit of flex time on the other end of things, a little, you know, time-wise. I just don't, I don't want to be worried about the clock on this one. And <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't played that card for a long time, Mary, so, so don't chew me out. I, I, and maybe I won't go over. I'm just saying I, 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 on this one, I just, I wanted to, it's got to come out how it comes out. So here, I'll start with this. We're kingdom ambassadors, folks, uh, which means we're here to represent a different king, an alternative kingdom. It means that uh, we have, we're here with a mission. We have a job to do. And it's, it's to ultimately look like Jesus and love like Jesus, be individually and corporately the body of Christ, doing what Jesus did, manifesting God's love to all people at all times. Uh, Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5. It's kind of a thematic verse of ours. He says, be imitators of God and then live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. That kind of sums it all up. Be many Jesus. Um, and, yeah, and, and in doing that, see, we represent this alternative kingdom, this alternative king, and, and manifest the character of God. And in doing that, we invite people to share in this, to come, come, come under it, to be a part of this. But it also means this. To be an ambassador means that wherever you're stationed is not your real home. The word ambassador implies that. You're in a foreign land. The Bible talks about this. We should consider ourselves in, in, a, in a foreign land because we're ambassadors. You, you maybe legally belong to America or whatever country that you're listening to this from, but, but, but Paul says the truth is in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And when you think about heaven, don't think up there. Think out there in the future. Jesus is returning with his kingdom, and that's our true home, and we long for that. But because we're, 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 we, we belong to a different home, represent a different king, but are under a different kingdom, for that reason, we have to always remember that we're on mission and our job is to invite people in on this as we serve people to manifest the love of God. It's the same for all of us. Now, see, as, an, as ambassadors, we need to know the, la, the, the kind of the lay of the land that we are stationed in. We need to have our thumb on the pulse of kind of what's going on in the land in which we're stationed. And so I, I, I want to just spend the first part of this message naming, naming the land that we're in, the, the situation we're in, as so far as I can see. And in a word, I'll just say, it's a mess. The name I would give this is mess. <laughs> we are in a mess. Uh, we are in what I think is becoming a perfect storm, where there's different storms that, that are powerful, and mighty in and of themselves, but they're coming to converge together. It is, I think, a historic moment. And it could be a historic moment for the church if the church can respond as the church in this converging of, 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 of perfect storms. And if they're not converging already, Early November, I'm suspecting they will converge and grow even more intense. So I just want to name the, 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 this thing that we're in right now. Name some of these storms. Number one, we're in a season of remarkable racial unrest. 
In some ways, that's not even a season. That's kind of the 400-year history of America. But that it pops to the surface every now and then, more forcefully than at other times. And this is one of those times where it's popping forth. I think a, a, a turn was made with George Floyd's murder. And then there's been others since then, and there's many, many others before then. But this week, it's been over the, 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 the verdict of Breonna Taylor. A lot of unrest around this. Now, this is polarizing because everything is polarizing in this polarizing environment we're in. The polarizing powers, which is the title of this message, the polarizing powers are working overtime to polarize us. So everything is weaponized. But so you'll have a, a lot of folks who will say, well, look, you got to trust the system. Democracy doesn't survive unless you, people trust the system and we need law and order. And I, I, I get that. It's true we need law and order. Democracies do depend on people respecting law and order. And it's true that violence is never justified. In fact, it's true that violence is always counterproductive. The side you think you're helping, you're not helping. It's also true that, that we need a system that everybody can trust, but that's where the problem lies. It's easy for me, as a white guy, to say, trust the system, because it's usually worked for me. Law and order, because it's usually worked for me. But if you're a member of the black community and, and the system for 200 years first enslaved your people and then spent the next 150 years finding ways to keep them out of power and, and keep them less than, up through the 60s, and that part is indisputable. Up through Jim Crow and redlining, that's indisputable. If you're part of that community, well, trusting can be a little bit more challenging. And the bar of suspicion may be a little lower than it is for white folks who haven't encountered those kind of things. And so in the Brianna case, there's, there's questions that, that that's raise suspicion. There's enough questions about it. I mean, people are wondering, like, how, how is it that you can charge a police officer with endangering the neighbors of, of others, but no one is charged with the, the shooting of Brianna? There's no accountability on that. It's like, almost like she was irrelevant to the case. I'm not a lawyer. I, I don't know the facts. It's true. I, I, I don't know what the jury knows. But th for that reason, I think we've got to understand why uh, many people in the black community, especially the, the mother of, of, of this dear lady who was killed, uh, why they're crying, will you just show us then the, the transcripts uh, so that we, we can understand how you came to this conclusion? And see, we, we never can understand events uh, alone. You have to understand the, the fire behind this event is related to the fire with, with George, George Floyd and many other fires before that. And so we have this incredible racial unrest going on right now. How is it that Yet again, somehow the justice system didn't work for a person of color. They were irrelevant to the crime. They weren't even named in the, in, in the indictment. It's a question that right now is, I think, justifiably raising a lot of concern and unrest. And then, of course, on top of the race matters, we've got this pandemic. This wonderful year of the pandemic. People are isolated, and that's driving some people crazy. Uh, it, it, it's, it hurts everybody, but it's driving some people nuts. I listened on this one radio program. They interviewed this one young lady who's single and, is, and lives alone, and, and in tears, they were talking about what's the effect of this been on you, and, and she says, I haven't touched another human being in seven months. And yeah, it's, it's, it's causing all sorts of stress with all the, you know, the parents, how, you know, the whole schooling issue, and, and, and is it open, and is it halfway, or what are we going to do about this? And, and then they, it's reversed, and they got to figure out work schedules and how we're going to make this, how, handle all this. And it's, it's just a, it's a stressor. It's built in to make stress. All the, all the crangling around sports these days, now that gets politicized, and there's hostility over that. It, 
it's, it's just chaos, and it results in absurd situations. Like some of you probably saw that video. Uh, I guess it went viral. I saw it in the news the other night of this lady who would not wear a mask at a football game, and uh, she refused to, even though she had a mask in her back pocket. But uh, uh, they finally called security over, and the guy ended up tasing her uh, over a mask. But he's charged with, 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 tra- with, with trespassing because the sign says you have to wear a mask to come on here. And, okay, so that I think was uh, kind of silly, but wear a mask for crying out loud. But on the other hand, I can kind of see why she would be irritated. She's sitting alone. And there's there's no, no one around her in the stands. And uh, she's watching, get this, a football game. Her son's football game out there. Grunting on each other. You look at that front lines of a football game, and those people, every play, are grunting at each other, spitting at each other, hollering at each other. It's a petri dish. So don't worry. It's just, how can you allow one? And then it's the inconsistency of the whole thing is driving some of us actually pretty crazy. Um, but, but, you know, that, that's, as ambassadors who are stationed in this land, we've got to know that we are in a high-stress situation. COVID is, everybody's a little more on edge, okay? A little bit more nasty. Uh, our fuse is a little bit shorter, and there's a lot of confusion going on. That's storm number two. And storm number three, everyone's favorite, politics. <laughs> Don't we love it? That's a storm. So we have both sides now claiming that if the other side wins, it's going to be the meltdown of America, the end of America as we know it. It's going to be the, the veritable apocalypse. And, and, you know, they always use this, you know, hyperbolic rhetoric coming up to elections. And, but it's not like this. This is, I think, unprecedented. And I think it's because everyone means it. And then we have the whole, now the question of, 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 of the integrity of absentee ballots and mail and voting and, and all the hubbub around that. And, and, and for the first time, this has been raised where, you know, the, the specter of the possibility that there won't be a, a peaceful transfer of power. I think that's, a, that's got a lot of people nervous. And each side suspects the other side's going to try to steal the election. Meanwhile, hardly anyone, so far as I can tell in the news, in Russia and China are just like not their big foes anymore. We're so busy fighting at each other. I don't know who's paying attention to that. This is high stakes poker, folks. This is, in terms of democracy, this is high stakes poker. And then, to add fuel to the flames, we, Ruth Boehner Ginsburg died. And, uh, and that's just a heartbreaking in and of itself. This woman was such a courageous, courageous, consistent, honorable advocate for the causes of, of, of the disadvantaged. And, and she and John Lewis were the two people in, Congre- in, in politics that I respected the most. And they're just about the only two that I do respect. And this year we've lost both of them. One more thing that's wonderful about 2020. But of course now, uh, Republicans want to uh, replace the Supreme Court and that's got the Democrats up in arms. Like they would do something totally different if if the ball was in their court. And it's just caused now a firestorm upon a firestorm. The rhetoric keeps getting ratched up. And there's some people who are talking about picking up arms now. In fact, we've already got militias on the left and the right who are showing up in protests, and that's a prescription for disaster. But see, what happens when, when groups get more and more polarized in their hostility towards one another, what, what, what was once the most extreme version of themselves becomes normative. And that's what's helping create this, make, make this into a, a, a perfect storm. Uh, some of you maybe know Rick Joyner. And when it comes to things like this, I, I am not afraid to name names because this is a person who's very public. Uh, he's a pastor who also positions, positions himself as something of a prophet. Uh, he's got a pretty, very large following, actually. 
uh, I actually read some of his stuff and listened to some of his tapes and went to a couple seminars. And I, 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 I appreciate what he had to say back in the 90s. I thought some things were a little eccentric. Yeah, sure. But, but on the, he had, I thought he had the heart of the gospel. Never saw anything about violence or hatred or hostility or anything like that. I don't know what happened to, to, to Brother Joyner. But this last week, he called on Christians to uh, take up arms and make sure you have enough ammunition because it's time to declare war on the liberals that are destroying this, this country. Not the rhetoric that we need. Not, not helpful. Christians, if you're just tuning in the Wilderness Hills for the first time, I would advise you not to follow that teaching. It's one of the biggest challenges we have as kingdom people is differentiating what we believe to be the core of the kingdom, living in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us, differentiating that from everything else. Uh, that goes under that name. And I'm going to say, that I, I don't believe that that is kingdom at all. I think that is anti-kingdom. So we got this political rest on top of the racial uh, unrest, on top of this pandemic, three perfect storms coming together. Oh, let's add in some unprecedented wildfires that are ripping up the West. Unprecedented, historic. I had read, I think it was uh, 330 some million acres of, of, of forest in California alone have been destroyed by this. And thousands of, 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 of houses and property and a number of lives. It's just been unprecedented. What, could, what, what else could possibly go wrong? Well, I throw in some historic hurricanes. We've had a hurricane season like never before. We're first time in our history we've got all the way through the alphabet and now uh, through the English alphabet. Now they start naming them according to the Greek alphabet. And for the first time, one of the Greek alphabet, beta, hit us. Uh, of course, that's polarized because everything's polarized. So now we all did have debates about global warming and, and whatnot and whatnot and whatnot, folks. Uh, we are, we are I, I, and I mean this, I don't, mean, I don't want to be alarmist, but it feels like we're, we're verging on a perfect storm. Um, or to change the analogy, we're on a powder keg and it would just take the right match to blow this whole thing up. And there's no guarantee that that won't happen. I hope that won't happen. I, I, I don't expect that to happen. But I also know that every time something like this has happened in history, people were mostly surprised. I didn't think this could ha possibly happen. So the question then is this. Given this is the lay of the land that we, at least who are in America, are stationed in, all of you have to apply it to your own countries. I don't know how, how to textualize it according to where, where you live. But in America here, we are living in this unprecedented time. It's absolutely surrealistic. It's crazy. It, it's, it's, and, and it's the question I want to ask is, how, how do we as kingdom people respond to that? How do we conduct ourselves in the midst of this? And so there's three things I want to say. The first is Paul tells us, the Apostle Paul says, that we're not to be living as those who have no hope because we've got a hope. We know where our hope lies. And that should affect the way we conduct ourselves in the middle of what seems like a hopeless storm. See, if your hope is in America or if your ultimate hope is in the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, or the Libertarian Party, or this policy or that policy or this candidate or that candidate, well, to the degree that uh, that's where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, and, and right now I'm betting you're kind of mad, you're kind of angry, you're kind of frustrated, you're scared maybe. Because those things are not good things to put, on, put hope in. And as kingdom people, we remind ourselves about this all the time because it's so important. But nations have always risen and nations fall. That's just what the nations of this oppressed world do. And political parties, they're good sometimes, then they get corrupt. Then maybe they get reformed, then they get corrupt. That's seesaw, that's just how it goes. It's a merry-go-round. We know that. 
Our hope is not in something that changes, not in something that can be voted on, not something that you have to fight over. No, our hope is found in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Our hope is in the coming kingdom of God. Our hope is in his promise that when all this is said and done, the glory of what will be in when the kingdom is fully come can't even be compared to the struggles and the pain and the woes and the evil of this present world. <laughs> you, think, you think this perfect storm is bad? Well, it is terrible, terrible bad. But it's nothing compared to the glory which God has in store for those who are walking in this kingdom way. We're furthering his kingdom. Our job is to be laying down, the, preparing the way of the Lord, lay down the runway strip for the Lord to return. And we do that by all of our kingdom works. We're, we're kind of the dress rehearsal for this. But we know that when the time is right, his promise is that he will return and set up his kingdom in fullness. And if you want my opinion, the sooner the better. <laughs> uh, but that, that, that's where our hope is. Now, we, we do good in the city now. The Bible tells us, do good to the city that you, in which you find yourself. And, and so we live out the kingdom now. We care about the coming against homelessness and, and racism and hunger and all the other things that besiege people. We come against that now. We do as much as possible now. But we've also got to know that this world's not going to be said totally right, not by a long shot until Jesus Christ returns. And that's where our hope is. And maybe one silver lining in this year of 2020 is that I think it makes having that hope all the more easier because it's all the more clear that there is nothing else to hope in. Put all your hope in Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to drink, in this season, drink deeply from that hope. I mean, really let it benefit you. It's, it's one of your kingdom inheritances. Spend some time envisioning, imagining, and asking the Spirit to help you. Envision how great it will be when that kingdom comes. And enter into that and just kind of imagine that as good as you can. Make it as beautiful as possible because however beautiful you're imagining it, it's going to be way, way, way better than that. But it will do your heart good. See, that, this is the essence of faith. Uh, in Hebrews 11, it tells us that faith is the substantiating of things that we hope for, uh, producing a conviction of things that we don't yet see. When you imagine it concretely as a substantial reality, that's what he means by substantiating. Uh, when you imagine it as a concrete reality, it creates a, a conviction in you that yes, it's so, it will be so. And that alters your state of being. It can give you that peace that passes understanding when you really believe that that hope shall come through and you're living and thinking as though that hope shall come true. It can really affect how you carry yourself. It can, it can give you that peace that passes understanding. And in a world that is, is just going in total chaos, spinning in circles in chaos, if you can walk with that sense of peace, that itself is a profound kingdom witness. Know where your hope lies. Number two, keep your eye on the ball. I go to a lot of my grand, grand that's, that, I still taste that stupid stuff. Uh, I go to my grandkids' softball games and, and that's always our slogan. Keep your eye on the ball, keep your eye on the ball. Watch it, watch it till it, it meets that bat. Don't get distracted, in other words. And that's a word that I think that we need to hear in this season in which we find ourselves. Remember, and never forget that you are an ambassador here on assignment. Your job is to represent the character of the king, the character of the kingdom, by what we say, by what we do. That's the ball, okay? That, keep your eye on that ball. Ephesians 5, live in love. As Christ loved us and gave his life for us, that's the ball. Proclaim the good news, be good news. Manifest what Jesus is like. So here's the thing. Our, everything about us can change, but that call always remains the same. To live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. It doesn't matter whether you're in good circumstances or bad circumstances, where things are going well or not so well. It doesn't matter what country you live in. 
whether it's democratic and free or, or in North Korea, doesn't matter whether you're white, black, Hispanic, Latino, doesn't matter what your political opinions may be, with this chaos around us, be careful not to get distracted. Don't get pulled into it. Keep your eye on the ball. Live in love. You know, Jesus actually modeled how to do this. And, and that's how, I'll say that for next week because that's how we're going to launch off this series that we're beginning on House Divided. And I encourage you to, to, to be part of that series. But the essence of what he did, and this brings me to the third point I want to make. The essence of what he did is he resisted the powers. He resisted the powers. Because all kingdom living requires resisting the powers. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6 that our, our struggle is not against uh, enemies of flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and against the cosmic powers of this present darkness. Boy, does it feel like a present darkness, huh? And folks, winter is coming. Winter is coming. We fight against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where real foe is. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. In fact, not only are we not supposed to be fighting flesh and blood, but if it's flesh and blood, if it's a human being, it's someone that we're supposed to be fighting for. And we, and we fight for them by refusing to not love them, regardless of what we might see in them or, or think about them. We're not allowed to ever not love them. That's how we prepare the way of the Lord. That's how we demonstrate the kingdom. But our battle is against the powers, because see, the powers... They're always trying to get us to have flesh and blood battles because if we're shooting at each other, we're not shooting at them. If we're shooting at each other, we're playing into their strategy. This is their design. They come only to kill, steal, and destroy. They, they would love to destroy humanity. And their plot is to turn us against each other. So we kill off, so we'll eventually kill off one another in the name of our righteousness. That's their strategy. And all indications as you look around this country right now, it seems like they're having something of a field day. Because we see flesh and blood struggles all over the place. You want to know where the powers are most at work? Where are the flesh and blood struggles? Those are the people who are being played. They're having a field day. So as we look at this world right now, this, this, this divided world, we have to see more than what the ordinary person sees. This isn't just a struggle of flesh and blood. It's not just about people who, who believe different things. It's not just about the, the Democrats, Republicans, the left and the right fighting and people arguing over global warming or systemic racism. It's not just about those things. It involves those things. But behind that, there are powers at work. Now, God's also at work, okay? So he's always working for the, for the best. But there are powers at work, and we've got to be able to see that. And there are people who are being played. These powers right now, they have a powerful, powerful, powerful weapon. Perhaps the most powerful weapon they've ever had. And that is the internet. If you want to turn people against each other, the internet, for all the good it can do, and I'm not here to demonize the internet, but it, it's, it has a potential for great good and therefore has a potential for great evil, and the enemy is using it for evil because people get siloed in their little echo chambers and only talk to people who, who think like them, and they only get the version of reality that, that, that agrees with them, and so their brains get hardened, their categories get hardened, and eventually you'll lose the capacity to understand a different point of view. If you're not regularly encountering and docking with the other point of view, you'll lose the capacity to understand them or even want to understand them. And now things become obvious to you and to your group. It's just obvious. We are, it's so obvious that we are right, it's not even worth talking to those folks. Because if it's obvious that we're right, well, then it's obvious they're wrong. And so they can't be holding that belief because they really think it's true. They have all their motives or maybe they're just stupid. But either way, they don't deserve to be talked with or reasoned with dialogued with. No, they're deplorable. They're disgusting. You don't, no, what they need to be is silenced. What they need to be is defeated. In certain cultural contexts, what they need to be is killed. 
Because if you're not willing to talk to another human being as though they're a human being and reason with them, the only alternative is war. Or sort of that imprisonment, silence. People are being played by the powers. As kingdom ambassadors, listen to this, folks. As kingdom ambassadors, we have to covenant together that we will not be played. We will not be played. And these polarizing forces have got a lot of power right now, and there's a suction. If you're sensitive to it, you can feel it. If you're not careful, you get sucked into it. But we have to resolve. We will not be played. We will resist. The work of the powers will resist being sucked into any narrative that's at least in part defined by its animosity towards the other side. It's hatred towards the other side. Keep your eye on the ball. We're not allowed to ever adopt that mindset. We're to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. And now I think we can begin to understand why Jesus' followers should expect some kind of persecution or at least to be spoken evil about. Because see, to the degree that people and individuals and people groups have been polarized, sucked into their own silo. To that degree, they adopt an us versus them mindset, which means part of their us is defined by the against them mindset. And to that degree, of course, they feel righteous over and against that other group, which is becoming increasingly evil. And to the degree that it gets sucked deeper and deeper into their silos, they see the world in just black and white categories. We're 100% right and they're 100% wrong. And see, at that point, folks, when people get sucked in that deeply, now when you look at people who, who oppose you, you don't even see people. What you see is the enemy. What you see is a label. What you see is a category. And what you're really seeing is a judgment. You're not seeing the people as individuals. You're seeing categories. But see, the call to love means we can't ever see people as categories. We can't ever see them as, as the, the real enemy. We can't ever see them as people that are not worth talking to. Um, this is where cancel culture comes from. You can have about, say, 100 right things. But see, the deeper our group gets in, their, in, in this us versus them mindset, the more it becomes important to them that you have absolute conformity. And, and, and if you're not for us, then you can be against us. And so now, if you walking in, walking the way of love, living in love, seeing people in terms of love, when you see that those people are actually people uh, and that they have their own, they're human just like you are and they have their own trials just like you do and, and, and you begin to see that maybe they're not altogether evil, maybe they've got some good points, maybe there's something you might learn from them, you talk like that and you might find yourself censored. Why? Because you're ruining the party. To the degree that groups get sucked into this us versus them mindset, they feed off the contrast. That's what judgment does. And it feels righteous to talk about how bad they are, how stupid they are, how ignorant they are. That's part of the buzz. That's, that's the righteousness buzz we've talked about. You come along and say, well, you know, there are some good points. You're sucking the energy out of the room. You're a killjoy. You're a party spoiler. If you're not for us, you must be against us. And now you can become part of the enemy. See, Jesus said that we're to love like the Father loves. We're to love like the rain falls. We're to love like the, the, the sun shines. We're to, we're to love indiscriminately. We don't get to pick and choose who we love. In fact, Jesus says, love like this, Matthew 5, 44 and 45, love like this that you may be children of your Father in heaven. That's the criteria that he, that he provides for us, that you may be. This is how we manifest that we're children of the Father in heaven because we can love in a way that the world can't love. But we can only love that way if we're resisting the pull of the polarizing powers that are always trying to get us to turn on flesh and blood. And so if you're in this kind of context where you're living out this call of love, 
You're gonna, you're gonna contrast possibly with anybody. The call to love involves ascribing unsurpassable worth to that person because you know Jesus died for them. And, that, and, and your job is to, to reflect that agreement by, by your attitude towards them, which means your attitude isn't just deplorable. You may think, think their views are deplorable, but they deserve respect. They may, you may profoundly disagree with them. You may find, think that their, their views are deplorable. You may think that they're the problem with America. Uh, you may identify them as, as dangerous. Maybe they even threaten you. Maybe they even threaten your loved ones. And I'm, I'm not saying you can't argue your case and, and, and put forth your case. Absolutely, you can. And we, sometimes we must. But we've got to do it in love. That's never negotiable. Do everything in love. 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Everything in love. Even debating the most difficult topics where manifesting love would be the most difficult, but that's what we're called to do. And see, in a world where there's polarizing powers sucking people in on the us versus the them, in a world that's getting increasingly all or nothing thinking, all black and white thinking, where if you're not for us, you're against us, if you're walking in the way of love and not being fully identified with either group, well, you might just find yourself becoming the enemy of everybody. You're not for us. We thought you were, but you're against us. And uh, you must be silenced, not reasoned with. You must be canceled. You must be defeated. And in certain cultural contexts, you must be killed. So why was Jesus persecuted? Because he didn't, he didn't conform to any of the Austin polarities. He, he just didn't buy into their narratives. His, his narrative intersected at points with theirs, and so does our kingdom narrative. But he never let himself get, get pulled into those hostile powers, into those silos, into those groups that are defined by their anima, animosity towards others. So for example, <coughs> Jesus, as, as a, real Jews, the assumption went, by and large in the first century, that real Jews, you just know that because you're a Jew, you despise Gentiles, and you despise those half-breed Sumerians, and, and you especially despise the Romans. You don't reason with them, talk with them. And, no, you try to defeat them. That's what it means to be, for many people, at least a first century Jew. But see, Jesus was Jewish, but he refused to do that. He refused to ever not love someone, so he was branded a traitor and crucified. He didn't conform to any of their, or at least many of their important distinctions. Uh, you know, if you're a good Jew, you don't hang out with prostitutes. That's kind of goes, especially if you're a rabbi, especially if you're claiming to be the Messiah. You don't hang out with prostitutes and tax collectors. There's rules about that. Social taboos, for crying out loud. But Jesus refused not to love. He hung out with them. He, be, he befriended them. You're not supposed to be hanging out with the, the, the low lifes who are, are the, on the outside, the, 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 the sick and the diseased. Those are people who are being judged by God. That's what everyone assumes at the time. Now, you, you, if, if you're hanging out with them, then you're, you're part of the problem, not the solution. But Jesus refused to ever not love. And so he hung out with these people and ministered to them and demonstrated God's love to them by bringing freedom and healing into their life. He was Jewish, but he didn't buy into that Jewish us versus them narrative. He didn't buy into this, if you're not for me, you're against me. He was rather the victim of it. He was considered an oddball. Doesn't think the way we're supposed to think. Doesn't act the way we're supposed to act. And therefore, he must be silenced. He must be put to death. See, Jesus said that if they do it to the master, they'll do it to the servant because the servant is never above the master. And so he anticipated his followers would be persecuted for the very same reason that he was persecuted. They won't, they, they won't get sucked into the us versus them polarities. So they, the early church was mostly in Rome, <coughs> but they were never part of the Roman us. They never got on board with the Roman narrative. 
If you're a good Roman, well then of course you hate our enemies. In fact, if you're a good Roman and you're able-bodied, then you should go out there and help us fight those enemies. But the Christians refused not to love. They, refu- they refused to ever be played by the powers. They wouldn't give in to that. And so some saw them as being unpatriotic, as being disloyal, as being subversive. If you're a good Roman, you're supposed to attend the festivals that celebrate the goodness of Rome and especially celebrate the victories of Rome. And that's when they march in all the prisoners and, and, and feed them to lions and have their festivities or whatever. But the Christians said, no thanks, because we're not allowed to hate anybody. In fact, we pray for those people that you are feeding to lions. They just weren't good. They, they're, they're party kills. They suck the air out of the room. It's no fun. You got to hate the ones we hate if you're going to be part of our club. You're supposed to pledge allegiance to the emperor just by nodding your head when you pass a statue in some areas or lighting a little bit of incense or doing some meaningless thing. No one cared whether you believed it. Just do it so you're, it's your way of acknowledging, yeah, you're part of the us. You're part of the crowd. And they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it because their Lord was Jesus Christ and we can't compromise by pledging allegiance to any other. So they were never fully part of Rome. Roman citizens, yes, but they never bought into the us because they never bought into the them because they were living in a kingdom narrative that is its own us, but that has no them. The kingdom narrative has an us, but it doesn't exclude. It doesn't oppose. No, it's all inclusive because our attitude towards all is love and embracing and and serving. It's it's never do we buy into the hostility there, and that gets you in trouble with everybody. And that's how it's been throughout history. Christians have just been, those who are the most faithful to the call of the kingdom have been the most persecuted because they just don't fit anyone's us. Not fully. So today, I, 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 this surprised me. I, I, uh, the other, well, preparing for this message, I found out that on this one uh, ministry, I guess it is, called Open Doors USA, they, they monitor Christians being persecuted. You find throughout history, Christians have been being persecuted. Um, and it's still going on to this day. So today, uh, on average, they say, as of 2019, on average, eight Christians are martyred a day on this planet. On average, every week, 122 church edifices, either church buildings or religious organization buildings, whatever, are attacked. And every month, on average, 309 Christians are falsely imprisoned, unjustly imprisoned, oftentimes for life. They die there. Right now, there are 260, over 260 million Christians who are living in moderate to severe persecuted circumstances where they have to fear either for their freedom or for their life. Uh, North Korea, here are the top ones, the countries they listed. Afghanistan, Somalia, Pakistan, Sudan, Iran, China, and the list goes on. You know, it's, it's pretty obvious that America's got some faults, some deep faults, but let's never lose our gratitude for the fact that this country allows me to do this without fear of something happening to my kids. Uh, we're blessed. We're blessed to have the freedom to do, to do without, right now at least, things can change quickly, but right now to be able to, we carry out our distinct kingdom call without fearing for our lives. Uh, and, 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 and that's a blessing that, that our, this Constitution gives us. We should never take that for granted. So why was Jesus persecuted? Same reason, why was the early church persecuted? It was for the same reason. Uh, they were not part of anyone's us. They wouldn't conform to the thinking fully. And see, here's the thing. If we are consistent and faithful to our calling as the kingdom, we can't fit in fully either. We can no more fit in easily with the American us than the early Christians could with the Roman us. 
The fact that our us is nicer doesn't change what our, our relationship with it should be. We can't conform to any of the us's, not fully, insofar as the us's are premised on against them. Insofar as they're premised on hostility, we can't buy into that. So we're, we're yeah, we, we benefit a lot by being here in this country, but, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of stuff that we would say, yes, that, that we can get on board with that, but there's a lot of stuff we can't get on board with. To be part of the us of America is you're supposed to also be against the them of America. And you're supposed to support its military victories and support its whatever it's doing. And, and see, well, we know nations are going to do that. We're not trying to run the world, say what's, you know, whatever. But we can't get on board with any killing. We can't get on board with any violence. We can't, that can't be part of our us. And there's other things as well, being part of the us of America. We can't buy into its consumerism. We can't buy into its materialism. We can't buy into its individualism. We can't do it by, buy into its, its, its sexual exploitation, using sex as a way of selling things, objectifying the bodies of women. We can't buy into its racism. We can't fully identify it as us. Yeah, we're here, we're in the world, but we're not of this world. And if you hold that view, you may find yourself being accused of being unpatriotic. I can tell you from experience, you can be cut off. You can be silenced. You'd be disinvited places because uh, you just aren't on board with the us of America. See, as, I, as, as, as ambassadors of the distinct kingdom, and ruled by his distinct king, uh, we can never fully identify with the us of America or of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or the Libertarian Party or any party you might name or any cause that you might name if that, if that cause involves hostility towards the other. Seeing people to some degree as a category rather than as individual people. We've got to keep our eye on the ball and therefore resist that diabolical pull. Now in America, you know, living in love, it probably is not going to get you killed. But it might... People may spike, speak, seek, seek evil of you. They may make up lies about you. You may find yourself getting canceled. You may find yourself getting canceled from all sides. Jesus says, if that happens, if that happens, rejoice. And that's easier said than done if the ones who are rejecting you maybe are people that you've loved and been friends with for a long time or whatever. There's a cost to pay, and Jesus said there would be. But he says, rejoice. Because that means you're on that road that's headed towards blessedness. That's why these are beatitudes. They're the signposts that tell you you're on the right road. If you're, if, if you're popular with everybody or even just popular with one group that has that animosity in it, well, that's cause to be concerned. We're not running for office. We're not supposed to be trying to be popular. We're supposed to be faithful, and that can make us very unpopular. And if that happens, rejoice in that because it means you're going in the right direction. You're doing something right. So, folks, we're in this... We're in the middle of this storm, and um, who knows what's going to happen in four or five weeks. In this situation, have your hope, all your hope, found in Jesus Christ and his coming kingdom, and dream dreams about that. Let that minister life to you. Let that be a lifeline as you go through the season. In this season which we are in, keep your eye on that ball. The ball is the mission of the kingdom of God. Summed up by saying, live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. That's the bullseye. And that bullseye never changes. Things may get really good around here. Things may go really bad. That never changes. Keep your eye on the ball. And doing that, you resist the pull of the powers. Resist the pull of the powers. And they can be subtle. Often, you'll find that you have... If you're, if, if, if you're introspective and let the Holy Spirit be speaking to you, you may find you wake up to the fact that you have already been played. That happens to me. I, I'm being played. 
And you'll know you're being played because you're starting to hate the other side. Those, yeah, you're starting to take on that attitude. Our attitude is to be the attitude of Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, didn't grasp onto that as though he was equal with God, but he emptied it all out for our sake. And he made himself of no reputation. He became a human being, became one of us, became coming in the form of a servant. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ. And it was obedient to the point of death. That's the attitude of Jesus Christ. That's the attitude of the kingdom. Lord, I pray that as we go about our weeks now, as we now separate to go out in this world that is so full of hostility and polarities and judgments and violence, help us to be the peacemakers by how we live. Help us to be bearers of the peace that passes understanding to offer that to other folks. Help us to keep the eye on the ball. Help us to be strong and courageous in what is right, doing everything in love, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. We love you. I commission you to go out and build the kingdom. Keep your eye on the ball. God bless.